You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. It is great to be with you wherever you're watching from. We're in a series called Tension, and I know we all feel the tension right now between restrictions and good health and just the closeness that you might have or the distance you might have from family or other people. And we just want you to know that we love you, that we care for you, we care for what's going on in your life, we care for what's going on in your heart. And I want to encourage you during this time to take some extra time to slow down and spend time with your Lord, with Jesus, just to be grounded in him and to begin to live your life out of the overflow of that with all that we have going on and all the unknowns and all the questions about the future. You have a God who loves you and this is no surprise to him and he loves you right where you are right now. He knows what's going on in your head or in your heart and he wants to meet with you and he wants for you to eat deeply of his word and to dig in with him in a fresh new way in this season. I want to encourage you during this time to spend some extra time with your Lord and with your Savior. We're in a series called Tension and we feel a lot of tensions. Sometimes we utilize tension to protect what is true. We try to remove tension from other truths in an effort to protect the one that seems most true. It was an innocent post Just one woman sharing her opinion on a social media regular day. She never envisioned the firestorm and hate speech that ensued. And within days, she had canceled out and deleted her social media account. But the most hurtful thing was the friends who turned against her. I know a tiny church based on questionable beliefs and based on bad theology, refuse to show grace to others. They picket military funerals, they yell and protest at pride marches, and they speak hate all in the name of Jesus. Now, I won't even speak the name of this church because I don't think they deserve it, but the only thing that they are famous for is their hatred. When the phone call came, it simply said, hey, mom and dad, I'm pregnant. It was a shock to these parents who had raised their child in a Christian home with Christian values, but that child had walked away from the church. And whenever the mom and dad brought up about, maybe you should go back to church. Maybe you should get involved again with a church close to where you live. It always led to arguing. And then was the announcement that they were going to be grandparents. And they made the decision before their first grandbaby showed up Even though it was a blow to their pride, they decided to lay down their right to be right. They decided to love them, to do everything they could to help this couple in practical ways and applaud them to make God-honoring decisions, to say, what would Jesus do, but in a situation like this, to show practical love? We're looking at the importance of tension and how do we hold on to beliefs and how do we treat people? That's the issue at stake today. And so far in this series called Tension, we've looked at a bunch of different tensions that you can know God in a moment, but God is also a mystery. That you can know God. He's made to be known. Scripture has revealed God, who he is, and God wants to be known by people. And at the same time, he's a mystery. He can do whatever he wants to do. God has ideals, an ideal way to live your life, an ideal way to handle your finances, an ideal way to do things the right way. But praise God, he uses broken people, people who have not lived up to God's ideal, 
There's a tension there and we're grateful for it. The Bible is all true and not everything true about life is in the Bible. That there are other truths about life that we can benefit from, always looking at them through the filter of the word of God. You can become a Christian in a moment and yet it will take you forever to figure out what that commitment actually is going to entail, what it's going to look like. And today we're gonna to look at this, that your beliefs matter. They matter, but people matter more. Your beliefs matter. Beliefs are important, but people matter more. And we see this all the time in the life of Jesus. We see this all the time in throughout scripture, God's heart for people and God's heart for right beliefs. Write this down if you're taking notes today. If your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, then there's something wrong with your beliefs. In Genesis chapter four, beginning with verse two, we look at the very first family on earth. And in the very first family, we find out that they, having experienced the fall, are actually a dysfunctional family, maybe like yours, maybe like mine. And that they, we look at this family and we find out that Adam and Eve give birth to sons. It says in chapter four, beginning with verse two, later she, this is Eve, gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked on favor with Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Let me just pause here so you understand what's going on that God wants to be the God of the first. He wants to be the first of your day. He wants to be the first in your life. He wants you to honor him first above everything else. And what we find here is we've got two sons who know God, who walk with God. And yet you have one, Cain, who in the course of time, eventually got around to bringing something to God, to bringing an offering to God. And God wants to be first of our lives. Abel brought the first from the firstborn of his flock. So here's the distinction. Abel's doing things the right way and Cain is not. And God wants to have a conversation with Cain about that. Look with me at verse six. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will it not be accepted? God's giving him the option, right? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And so we find out in the very first family in the Bible, a first murder. Well, what was his belief? His belief for Cain was that God should just accept my offering when I bring it. 
Why do I have to honor God with the first? If I just bring something in the course of time, it should be just as good as the person who honors God with the first. Let me ask you, do you think God still wants to be honored as the first in your life? Or does he want you to, in the course of time, finally come around to honoring him? God wants to be first. He's God. He deserves it. He's the Almighty and he loves us. And yet, he understands that so often our love turns toward ourselves. And that's what would happen with Cain. That he felt that God should operate how I want him to. He should accept my sacrifices just like he did Abel's. And so what happens? He says it's unfair. And so then it leads to anger. Then there's premeditated murder. I got to tell you something. Equality and fairness, anger and murder are all markers in our current culture. It's called subscriptionism. That we all have to do the same thing. That we all have to look the same. We have to act the same. We have to believe the same. And even in a pandemic, we have to like act the same in different ways. We're watching that happen right now. That's called subscriptionism. By the way, that would be the same in Sharia law and many other controlling human religious movements. And you might say, whoa, 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 wait, my beliefs would never cause me to kill. What do you do then? Do you fight or do you flight? Which do you resort to? Fighting or running away? See, let me tell you something. Your beliefs can be 100% true but it doesn't give you or me the right to mistreat people. I have a belief. It's one that I find to, I hold very strongly. And my belief is that slower traffic should stay right. That's my belief. I applaud that decision. There are signs on the highways that reaffirm my belief in the fact that slower traffic should stay right. But it doesn't mean that you get to mistreat people. However, let me give you a glimpse into our family. When we're driving on a road trip and I'm in the fast lane and there is someone who's oblivious and they're in the, in the fast lane but they're driving very, very slow, they might be distracted, they might just be oblivious to the cars that want to pass them, they might be, just be enjoying the scenery, I don't know what it is, but when we're in that car, my wife will oftentimes reach over and just grab my arm and be like, don't tailgate. Don't press them. And a lot of times cars will go around them. But then I think I can challenge this. I can be the one car to give them just a little, help them understand that they're in the wrong, that they need to move from the fast lane to the slow lane because I believe with all my heart that slower traffic should stay right. And if you're that person, you're just oblivious, enjoying your day, you need to educate yourself that slower traffic should stay right. And so what'll happen, eventually they get the idea and they move over to the right. And as we're beginning to pass up, my wife will often say, don't, do not glare at them. Don't glare at them. And I will say, I'm not glaring. I just, as we're gonna pass them, I wanna find out, are they on their phone? Are they distracted? Is there some issue that helps them not understand that slower traffic should not be in the fast lane? I don't know what it is, but I'm very curious to find out. And so as we pass them, I might look, and she'll be like, you glared. You glared at them. And I'll say, I, like, I have tinted windows. They can't see me look. I'm like, got sunglasses on. They, I just look, and she'll be like, she's convinced I glare. Well, there you have it. You're looking into a glimpse of our family, right? Your beliefs don't give you or me the right to mistreat people. You can be 100% correct and still not be right. You can still be correct 
and still not treat people right. When I was younger, I used to just wash uh, my car on Saturday on the driveway of my house in Southern California, and uh, I would be a teenager. And as a teenager, I went to Christian school. I had grown up in the church. I was in a class that told us all these differences of various religions and various cults. And uh, on Saturdays, what would happen is Jehovah's Witnesses would sometimes walk down the block. And one day, this lady who's a minority, she walks up and she's got a lady with her who's a white lady. And, and they come up and they start talking to me. And I, I kind of pause washing the car and I begin to talk to them about Jehovah's Witness. And I'm walking through why Christianity is right and why Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong. And we're having this discussion and I think nothing of it. They go on their way. Well, the next week I'm washing my car and they come back. And this time it's the same lady, but she's now brought a different white lady with her, kind of a higher up. And I, I realized suddenly that this, this other lady is the one who's getting trained and, and she keeps bringing someone who's higher up in the organization with her to help argue better or to help give her comebacks. So I start talking to them, I engage with them. Well, about the fifth week, I'm fed up. Like, listen, I just want to wash my car. I don't want to get the water spots. Like, I'm just done with it, like, right? So I, I just finally thought, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna end this. I'm just gonna end it. And so they came up and they started talking to me. And I just told the one lady who had been there every week, she's a minority, and I just said to her, listen, you know, you have in your religion a lot going against you. She said, what, why? I said, well, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that only 144,000 make it to high heaven. And currently at that time, when I was a, a kid growing up, they had an uh, attendance or they had on their books, they thought that there were about 3 million people who believe uh, and follow Jehovah's Witnesses. So I said, 144,000 are all that are going to make it to high heaven. And there are over 3 million on your books as followers right now. And I said, listen, you're a minority and you are a woman and neither a minority or a woman has any role of authority in the Jehovah's Witness religion at this time. What do you think your odds are going to be? I'm telling you, it was not right even if my information was correct. And I'm telling you, I watched them walk away and I just saw the expression on her face. I just bullied her and it wasn't right. Was I correct in my information? But was I correct in how I treated them? Not at all. And it's easy for you and I to either fight or flight. It's easy for you and I to move toward a way that, that can almost murder another person with whom our beliefs disagree. In the days ever since that point in time, I've tried to mature a bit in talking to Jehovah's Witnesses. And when I've taken and chosen the opportunity to talk to the Jehovah's Witnesses who come by my house, I now argue with them from the heart. And what I'll say is I say, listen, you take Jesus, the God-man, the only one who ever existed, and you downgrade him to be the brother of Satan in your beliefs. And he is the Lord. He's the one who loves us. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for you and take the opportunity in that moment to explain just how good Jesus is to them. So you can be correct and still not be right. Or you can learn to be right but not be threatened and appeal to people from where they might actually listen to what you have to say. Write this down. It's possible to be controlled by your beliefs, pushing you to sin against others. 
right? Because if your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, then something's wrong with your beliefs, but it's also possible to be controlled by your beliefs. And those beliefs and your, your, your loyalty to those beliefs can push you sometimes to sin against people who don't think or feel or act the same as you. In Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse one, it said, now the Passover and the festival and unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. And while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of perfume a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. And she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. And she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And even speaking about this passage today, that is coming true. Verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. See, what is easily possible is that it's possible to be controlled by our beliefs, pushing you to sin against others. You see, Judas believed some things. He believed that Jesus was his ticket to money and fame and power. He thought that he could get material gain by hanging out with Jesus. And he's always saying, Jesus is the Messiah. He's doing miracles. He's doing amazing things. And I've been chosen as one of the 12 and I'm gonna be along with him. And one day Judas is thinking, Jesus might rule. But Judas was already serving as the treasurer and the other gospel accounts tell us that he helped himself from the offerings given. At that point in time, people would give offerings just to care for Jesus and his needs and the needs of the 12 as they traveled around. But it says that Judas would serve as the treasurer, but he would help himself to the offerings that were given. But as Jesus reveals more and more his plan to actually sacrifice himself for the sake of people, Judas left what he thought was gonna be a sinking ship. And he looked for other gain. So what does he do? He goes and finds a way to betray Jesus. And in doing so, he accepts blood money. Well, he was controlled by his core beliefs, his core beliefs to take care of himself, his core beliefs to be a part of something that would lead to material gain, his core beliefs to say, I'm number one. And in doing so, he sinned against Christ. His core beliefs pushed him to sin against the Lord who had chosen him to be a disciple. Well, let me ask this, where are your core beliefs causing you to sin against others? See, our core beliefs often start with the word more, more. 
in your life you want more. And oftentimes that's described as greed. And so for you, it might be more money or more sexual impurity or more power or more ambition or more anger or more lust or more rage or more slander or more filthy language or more lies. Wow, you're thinking, Dave, 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 gear down. Whoa, slow down. Where are you getting such a list of all these sins? Where are you getting that from? Well, I'm actually taking it from Colossians chapter three. It's a good book. You ought to read it sometime that Paul is writing about the things that cause you and I to sin against other people. The author Paul knew firsthand what drove him in his religious zeal before he became a Christian. That Paul called Saul wanted more and his ambition for what his core beliefs were about God led him to begin to attack the early church, that it was the chief priests of the law. They were the ones who put Jesus to death But after Jesus had risen from the dead, Paul, as a young Pharisee, said, well, I'm here to finish the job. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start to attack the church, attack the people who call themselves Christians. Christ had already ascended back up into heaven. And so Paul starts going out and arresting Christians and throwing them in prison, having some executed. He's actually resorting to murder. And he's doing it with great zeal and great passion because of his religious beliefs and his denial of who he believes Jesus to actually be. And then one day on his way to Damascus, going along the road, he is struck with an incredibly bright light. And out of that light, Jesus speaks and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who is it speaking to me? And Jesus said, it is I, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And God made Saul, later called Paul, blind for three days. And he sent someone to witness to him about who Jesus actually is. His blindness was removed. He could see again. And he began to leave religious belief behind that mistreated people. And he began to serve and sacrifice for the rest of his life to share the good news about Jesus to any and all who would listen. So when he writes in Colossians chapter three about the more that people want, and the sin that our beliefs cause us to commit, he knows what he's talking about. If your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, then there's something wrong with your beliefs. Write this down. Sin can result in two murders. There's two different types of murder, aren't there? There's relational murder, and then of course there's physical murder, actual murder. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus says this, you have heard it said, love your neighbor, and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. And he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And what that really means is keep being perfected, keep maturing, even as your heavenly father is fully mature. He is fully perfected. Well, what is God saying? God's saying, I saved you when you were my enemy. Do you realize that that's what you were? Before you gave your life to Christ or if you're in a position where you haven't believed yet in Jesus, 
that you stand in opposition to God like Saul did before he came, became Paul and believed Jesus and followed him. That you're an enemy of God. You're not just, you know, passive about God. You're actually his enemy. So what does Jesus say? Don't just love those who love you. Demonstrate love to even the ones who hate you. And this is really hard for us to think about how do I demonstrate practical love to people who would actually hate me? And you say, well, who hates me? Could, could it be a terrorist? Yes. Could it be a racist? Yes. Could it be a bunch of mean girls? Yes. Could it be a fool? Yes. Or somebody who unfriended you? Absolutely. Could it be an adulterer? Yes. Could it be a liar? Yes. Could it be someone who's bullied you? Yes. These are people who are in enmity against you. And Jesus says to pray for them. Do you know what praying does? Praying doesn't often change your enemy. Praying often changes you and I to be like our Father in heaven, to be like Jesus, who even from the cross said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they were doing as he's being crucified. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying keep yourself in an abusive situation. Keep yourself around abusive people. I am not saying that. That I think great love is modeled with forgiveness. It's active, but also with appropriate boundaries. You don't just keep putting yourself in a dangerous situation. And even if you want a person to eventually be like a puppy dog, if they're a rattlesnake, they might always be a rattlesnake. And it doesn't mean you have to you know, snuggle up to them. But what it means is that when others have sinned against you, when they are in enmity against you, that you're to pray for them. And part of praying for them is praying for yourself that God would allow you as you begin to make right decisions to choose forgiveness, that you be able to walk in the freedom of forgiveness, that the weight of unforgiveness is too heavy a burden to bear and that God would be calling you even at a time like this to forgive those who sinned against you so that you are off the hook of their power, not to diminish the power of the hurt they've done against you. God is your judge. God is the one who will carry out any vengeance. God is the one who will carry out any decision against them. But it's the same God who loved you and stretched out his arms for you. And he says to love others, even when you're in the right and they're in the wrong. You've got to break sin's power over you. Why? Because you and I can be tempted to murder. You might not murder physically. You might want to, but you can also murder relationally. And God wants to call you back to himself. So are you willing to give up your right to be right in order to love people? And sometimes people get frustrated. They hear about forgiveness and they think, yeah, but what about principle? What, what about self-respect for crying out loud? Jesus loved people deeply without compromising his beliefs or his identity. People right now in our culture think that your beliefs and your, your identity and your love must be exclusive. That, that you, it, you only love those who believe what you believe, but if someone believes differently, you can't or you should not extend love to that person. That's crazy. Jesus walked into a world where the religious elite, the Pharisees, did that all the time. If you don't agree with what we say, then we hate you. We'll kick you out of the synagogue. And Jesus walked in to show love to the unlovable without compromising one element of his belief. And he was right. Jesus showed us that's not exclusive, that we can love those who believe differently 
than us. We must die to ourselves. We gotta die to our self-respect. We gotta die to our zeal and our prejudice in order to love others, including our enemies. Now, some of you are listening right now and you're nodding your head and going, that's right, if something's wrong with your beliefs, you know, if, if your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, then there's something wrong with your beliefs and you're, you're sitting in judgment on all the people you can think of who obviously have wrong beliefs and in doing so, mistreat people. But it's harder to often look at the mirror and say, what is going on in me? In what ways am I committing murder against those who don't believe the same as I do? In what ways am I mistreating others? In what ways do I not act like Jesus? See, you can be very well-intentioned, but let me tell you, sometimes the very well-intentioned you mistreats people. And you might not even be aware of it. Author Caleb Kaltenbach and I were talking uh, this last week about ways that people who call themselves Christians don't act like Jesus toward others. And let me give you a little list that uh, in working through he came up with, he said this, you don't act like Jesus when you view those you disagree with as the worst, that they're just the worst. When you pretend that they aren't people, why? Because they just believe differently. When you're grateful, you're not them. Oh, I'm so grateful. I am not like them. What are you doing? You're not being like Jesus. When you doubt that they can actually change. When you portray the hero and you make them the villains, right? Or even worse, I see this all the time, when you play the victim and you make them bullies. You're not acting like Jesus. When you act the expert, when you use your platform to say that they're wrong, when you just won't listen when you assume invalid reasons and experiences form their values. What are you doing? You're, you're being dismissive. The, the things that have formed their values, you're just dismissing them as invalid. That's not valid. They can't feel that way for any good reasons. What do you do? You dismiss them. You're not acting like Jesus. When you evaluate them, instead of simply the views you might disagree with, when you shame them, when you use harsh words, when you spread lies, when you recruit others to oppose them. And isn't that what we see all the time in our culture? That social media has become a platform to try to recruit people to your similar beliefs at the exclusion of rejecting and being against other people. So you're trying to get a crowd to recruit others to oppose those who believe differently than you. And last, when you don't forgive. These are ways well-intentional people like you and me don't act like Jesus. What do we do? We take our beliefs and in a defense and a fear for our beliefs that we think that somehow if we compromise and somehow our belief won't be true, but in doing so, then we mistreat people. And if your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, there's something wrong with your beliefs. So what are you to do? What are you and I to do? Write this down. Value people without com compromising your beliefs or your identity the fear is, if you love people, you're somehow going to compromise your belief. It's not true. If people invited you to a wedding that you were against because of your beliefs, going to that wedding doesn't say, I approve of all the decisions that they make. Going to that wedding says, I will extend love to people, even though I might disagree with the conditions or the relationship or the ages or whatever it might be in this wedding. You're extending love, but you didn't compromise your beliefs. 
by attending? What are practical ways that you can show sacrificial love? See, love that disarms a natural defensiveness. It's normal for us to be defensive about our beliefs, but love helps disarm the fear that drives that defensiveness. So show love and goodness to those who believe differently than you. My wife bakes a lot and we deliver a lot of baked goods around the neighborhood and oftentimes we'll take baked goods to our Muslim neighbors across the street after their religious festival and after they're done fasting with that, that we will give them some goodies. And instead of us standing as Christians in somehow judgment against those who are Muslims, what we do is we say, we love you as people and we wanna show some generosity to you and it's built relationship over the years. It breaks down defensiveness. It breaks down fear. You can show generosity to the poor. You can help those who are an activist in a way that you don't believe with, but you can show help and love and respect to that person as a person, even if you believe differently than what they're an activist about. Jesus is saying to you and me, you, as followers of your heavenly father, love your haters. Love them. I'm reminded of Jesus when the Pharisees drag into his presence and the crowd is around, this woman caught in adultery. The Old Testament law is clear on adultery. And under that Old Testament law, a person caught in adultery should be, have stones thrown against them until they're dead. And the Pharisees drag this woman who was caught in adultery before Jesus. And Jesus shows compassion to the woman caught in adultery because he sees through the Pharisees' efforts to get him to try to trap him to either decide in her favor and then therefore against the law or to jump on board with the law and be the first one to throw the stone. And Jesus just began, stoops down and many people believe that he began to write the sins of the Pharisees in the soil, but he begins to write in the sand and one by one, all the accusers for this woman leave. And at the end, he looks around and he's, he's there and she's there and he says, woman, where are your accuser? And she said, they're gone, they're gone. And Jesus tells her then, go and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. He said, neither then do I condemn you. Now, ultimately, who is judge? God is judge. He's right in his belief. But did he mistreat her? And did his fear and his defensiveness cause him to throw the first stone? Not at all, not at all. If your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, there's something wrong with your beliefs. So I want you to know very strongly, your beliefs, they matter so much. So often the trouble that we experience internally is wrong beliefs. We have wrong beliefs. And so God wants to whittle those down. God wants to help us speak well of ourselves. God wants us to bring the truth into the light, even in our thinking. So your beliefs matter. But let me tell you something, people matter more. And the scriptures say that the world will know us as Christians by one thing, and that's our love. That they will know us by our love. Can you imagine teaching your kids practical love and what that looks like to those who hate you? 
Could you imagine breaking down your core fears? Could you imagine Sun Grove Church being made up of all sorts of people who extend love to people who believe differently than they do? Right now in India, it's amazing because during this pandemic, they are working on survival, not just, not just thriving or, or being quarantined. They're working on just trying to live. And what has happened is we've made donations to allow our ministries in India to provide food for those who are in shelter and who have run out of food. But it's not just to the people who are part of our programs, but it's to their family, to their relatives, to their friend, to their entire village. And what has happened is the villages have started to say, wait a minute, the, the Christians are doing for us what even the government is not doing. Maybe there's something to this Christianity. It's a beautiful thing. But what happens? There's a tension between trying to protect your beliefs and trying to love people. So I wanna ask you, as we close, are you prepared to give up your right to be right? Are you willing to give up your right to be right and to love people like Jesus did? And maybe today you've never received the love of Jesus. You might be well aware that you're his enemy and that maybe you need him in your life. And so right where you are, if you want to invite Jesus into your heart to have your sins washed away, you want to say yes to his love, and, and you've maybe been afraid of his condemnation, but instead you're saying, yes, I want eternal life. I want new life in you. I want you to make me a new creation. I want my sins washed away. I want relationship with you, God. I want to know you legitimately. If that's you today, then you pray a prayer right where you are, just like this, just repeat something like this after me to say, Jesus, today, I give you me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and that you were buried and you rose to new life because you're God. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sin, to wash me as white as snow, to no longer make me your enemy, but call me to be your friend. Would you make me a new creation on the inside and give me a new heart because today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.